Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbard along with rhino in the element wealth studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this hump day (laughs) yes indeed we uh enjoyed hosting the show yesterday out at mississippi blood services still in need folks if uh, you feel so compelled to donate, they'll take good care of you. There are plenty of locations across the state. You can check out the Mississippi Blood Services website to learn all about it. Uh, there are a few handful of restrictions on who cannot, but in general, most people qualify to donate uh, the gift of life and get a cool T-shirt while you're at it. Really neat T-shirt. Again, the staff is fantastic. They take good care of you. It's painless. It's fast, simple, and you're helping other folks who really do need it. Uh, there were a couple of types, so I can recall three specifically that were in critical need. I'm trying to remember what those are. Rhino, I don't know if that I have my sheet. I think it was O and B negative. I know for sure there were two of those. But they, they need all types, yeah. as they say. They always do. So, enjoyed that yesterday. Today, Brent Bean at 1105, president of the Mississippi Construction Education Foundation. We'll get an update from the MCEF, see what sort of legislative matters they're going to be working on, and get an update again as to what they have planned for 2024. And then at 1205, you don't want to miss this, folks, Sandy Middleton Executive Director of the Center for Violence Prevention deals, of course, with victims of human trafficking to a great extent. We're going to have a couple of physicians on the program in the first segment with Sandy. That's at 12.05. Dr. Aaron Green with Grants Ferry Family Dentistry and Dr. Lindsey Jerome, obstetrician and gynecologist. And they're going to talk specifically about their work with individuals who have uh, experienced abuse, been been victims of human trafficking, and really the impact they have as medical providers uh, in this community, which is just a scourge, honestly. We've talked about it a lot on the program. 
And as we've learned, Rhino, from the experts such as Sandy on this, it's people that are under your nose you wouldn't even expect. And um, there, there are some signs. The Attorney General's talked about that as well and others involved in this problem in our state on how to recognize that. Um, even our friend Jim Richards, who was on with Paul Gallo last week, he's the CEO of KLLM, you know, the 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 truckers, those involved in that community, of course, which are out and about and, and stop frequently at truck stops for fuel, etc. And often they can be spotted in these locations, and they've the truckers have all signed on to learning how they can take a more active role. So we appreciate that. Hal Miller, also, of course, the, the um, head of the Mississippi Truckers Association, has been on the program discussing their involvement. But that's going to be a good segment. But then after that, at 1220, Sandy again will stay on, and she's going to have someone who has been involved in, has been a victim, let me be clear, a victim of human trafficking. And we hope that uh, she will share her story. We should tell you that we will not broadcast video of the, uh, of the, of the survivor. Of no. the survivor, correct. We won't broadcast the, the video, won't have that as part of our, our video presentation for obvious reasons. And we will refer to her by a name which is not a real name. So we will uh, take precautionary measures, if you will, proper measures uh, to protect her identity. That's what that's all about. So looking forward to that. Sandy always does a great job informing us about this problem in our state and efforts by her organization and others to, pardon me, get it under control. In the meantime... Someone who is portraying themselves as a victim, but who isn't, and that's Hunter Biden. Oh, my gosh. He was scheduled to be um, he was scheduled to be up on the hill today for a deposition. Well, he was subpoenaed, subpoenaed, right. A little stronger than oh, I got I got you penciled in. Well, that's true. P- thank you. Subpoenaed by the United States House of Representatives, I'd say that's pretty serious. Well, he decided to blow that off, if you will, and showed up on the Capitol, calling attention to himself in a "woe is me" speech, <laughs> essentially defying the subpoena. Now I don't know what the. The consequences, what the punishment. Contempt of Congress. It seems like that would be a pretty high one to me. They've already threatened it. Okay, good. So I I listened to Representative James Jordan and and James Comer talk about this today. They conducted a press conference because they were all ready to go. And this guy shows up on the Capitol. And, of course, he's it's the ultimate gaslighting, is it not? He's pointing fingers at MAGA. Republicans. I'm so sick of hearing that. What does that even mean? I I guess somebody in public relations for these politicians has tested that term and determined that it's effective for their cause. I don't know. Seems pretty long in the tooth to me. Uh, Every issue, everything that, that comes out 
Negative. It must have tested better than malarkey. <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> he seems to have abandoned that word at this point. So he delivered a public statement up there on the Capitol Hill, and, and again, he, he castigated those MAGA Republicans. He says they've invaded his privacy. Dude, you broke the law. You committed felony tax fraud. And he continues to maintain that his father received no compensation, was not involved in any of these business transactions, and there was loans back and forth, but he can't prove any of that. In fact, quite the opposite. And I I guess he says his father was not financially involved whatsoever in in these business exploits. Right. (laughs) But You've also got a father in this case. You talk about privilege that burns people up. Who happens to be a president with pardoning powers? So even if this guy is deposed, which, of course, the goal here is is not uh, to convict him as part of the congressional deposition. He's, He's just the son of the president. It's to... It's to reveal and explore and investigate possible wrongdoing by the president. That's a problem. And the Congress has a duty to vet that and expose it and act on it. But he really he blasted the House Oversight Committee chairman, of course, James Comer. And Jim Jordan is chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Jason Smith from Missouri chair of Ways and Means, and he said they manipulated the evidence and misstated personal information. Are you kidding me? Your personal information is blasted all over the Internet. He made sure to document it for everyone. Exactly, with photos that where he's boasting about his improper behavior, shall we say. He, he personally has left a bread trail of And then all of someone that. will say, well, he didn't post them on the Internet. Yeah, but he put them on a laptop that he didn't obviously care about. That's so correct. Just left it at the repair place. Let's be honest. He wanted people to know. He, it, it, was, it was something that uh, he thought he would get attention. It's the dopamine effect you discuss all the time. He wanted them to know. He wanted the world to know. Look at me. I'm powerful. I'm the son of a vice president, a senator, a vice president, then the president. I can do whatever the heck I want. You'll have to forgive me if I don't feel sorry for someone who spent almost a million dollars on hookers while at the same time fighting against paying child support for his own kid. That's absolutely true. And, of course, his famous father, the president, who constantly harps on the wealthy paying their fair share, has got a son who doesn't pay what is due, whether it's fair or not. He doesn't pay what he's lawfully liable to pay, obligated to pay. Unbelievable, the double standard stuff. Well, we got a whole bunch more to talk about. Don't forget Brent Bean, president of the Mississippi Construction Education Foundation at 1105. We're in the Element Well studio coming right back. Gerard Gibbert. 
He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi. I mean, you're pretty creative to insert Howdy Doody into a song, right, in the lyrics there. And you'd have to be a little older, most of us, to know even what he thought. Here you go. There you go. Comic books, blue jeans, and Howdy Doody. <laughs> that's good, too. Appreciate that, Rhino. So, I always feel like that song is going to turn into something else with the intro yeah like the intro and the rest of the song don't that's a good point really match up very well Ah, i'm down for that i agree it's cool song though oh yeah uh so hunter so here's the deal did the republicans make this guy what did you say he's spending his money on prostitutes (laughs) hookers did they make him do that instead of paid his taxes but yet he's no, more. he's a he's a victim of, of substance abuse. Oh, gosh, he says uh, they don't want an open process. Of course, he he wants you know it to be open the deposition. That's what I was talking about. What two weeks ago now? Yeah. Where both sides are talking out of both sides of their mouth about what they want for the process, right? Depending on who they're in front of. And, of course, as we said, a a big part of the reason Republicans have summoned Hunter to the Hill for an official legal deposition is because they know that under oath, when he starts answering questions, he's likely to reveal that his father, the president, engaged in illicit activity, impeachable. And they're building up, like it or not, to an impeachment inquiry. They're looking to vote on a resolution. That's what it takes to launch that process. And, And this is a precursor to that. And I guess, of course, as lawyers advising, hey, just go to the Hill. I mean, this was in the works for a while. They didn't just wake up today. By the way, Hunter, we don't think you ought to show up inside the Capitol there. Just uh, head up to the steps. We'll have the press all around. and Just make a public appearance of your failure to appear. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Tell the world that, you, <laughs> that um, you're jumping here. So <laughs> That's it's ridiculous. Like Ferris Bueller getting caught at a baseball game playing hooky. <laughs> That's right. That's kind of what this is. Just go ahead and showcase that to the entire planet. Your defiance of a legally binding subpoena on the ceasefire text line. Nothing will happen to Hunter. The Bidens are untouchable. This is Copper from North Mississippi. I, I hope that's not the case. I, I mean, we have got 
to apply the law consistently. And don't the Democrats, didn't they tell us that over and over again? I mean, to, to the point where it just became exhausting, that Donald Trump is not above the law. How many times we hear that? But yet, we got the president's son and the president, who was is, who is consistently denied that he had any involvement, doesn't know anything about his son's business exploits. But there's just more evidence to the contrary. That's what Comer's investigation That's how you know somebody's not very serious. When they're constantly saying something like, Donald Trump's not above the law, when they're championing the party of Bill and Hillary Clinton and Obama and Joe Biden. That's so true. That's absolutely true. What happened to all that Haiti money with the Clintons? Well, that's, yeah. Why did Obama get a big payout from the Common Core Publisher Company? Yeah, and there's... how is Hunter and, and President Biden making money from God knows where? And, and so... It's so to, to say that, oh, Donald Trump must be this evil, mean, whatever, while sincerely believing the craziness on their side is squeaky clean? Right. And I, I think Copper... Uh, I can understand why people out there would say, yeah, they're untouchable, because we have seen the double standard of the application of the law. I think the Clintons, as you just pointed out, are a great example of that. I don't think we know the half of all the junk that they were involved in that I think was illicit, illegal. Start with their foundations, for which they seem to be unaccountable uh, to... What really points to impropriety in the handling of uh, the funds there? Really incredible. You know, this this cultural Marxism that seems to have a bit of a grip on the country rears its head again. Hundreds of people blocked the Manhattan Bridge in New York Monday evening. And the people that were doing the blocking... Queers for Palestine. Yes, I just did a facepalm plant there. Hundreds in this group, Queers for Palestine, were protesting, and they blocked the bridge. They they were, of course, exhibiting LGBT and trans pride flags and chanting slogans. This wasn't about Palestine, I don't believe. This was another opportunity to call attention to themselves and their woe-is-me stuff. They were chanting from the river to the sea. That's the Palestine will be free. That's the what's given been given life as the typical refrain used by pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine folks anti-Israel folks all using that. Well, that's half the problem, is you have all these young, naive, idiotic, and or crazy people that are chanting a literal call for genocide because it's the new trendy chant. That is crazy, isn't it? Now, they are, however, pointing fingers, gaslighting the Jews suggesting that they are pursuing genocide. No pride in genocide is what they chanted. Queer Jews say, F the West, 
let Gaza live. Unbelievable. But it's it just seems like that identity has to be woven into all this stuff. That's and that is straight out of the cultural Marxism guidebook. It's all about dividing. And the Marxists determine who are the oppressors and who are the victims. And that's exactly what's happening with all this anti-Israel hate and protesting and the anti-Semitism behavior on college campuses. You see, Claudine Gay, who we reported yesterday, is retaining her position as the president of Harvard, despite... For now. her For now. Despite her plagiarism, there are even some... Well, no, uh, that's why I say for now. She well, won't be ousted because of pressure over her statements on Capitol Hill. But the pressure is still mounting over her plagiarism, including victims of her plagiarism now coming out. They are. Some have said they don't care, they still support her. But you know, if they had been plagiarized by a white male, they'd have been gone a long time ago. No doubt about it. So, her life... Unless they were fudging the numbers on a climate change study. (laughs) That's true. Is it fair to say, though, that her career, which has been in academia... It is just false, fabricated. George Santos of of uh, higher ed, because when you, she's not only plagiarized on her dissertation. I think now we've learned that her entire academic career has been one of uh, a fraud, honestly. But is it unreasonable to think maybe she? Got a pass because of her race? Because this has been going on around those parts for a long time. The stuff that really intensified in the wake of the George Floyd incident that sort of swept corporate America and every corner of society, it's been going on at these august institutions for some time. Cultural Marxism, specifically. She just happens to be the member of a group that is deemed the victims. Well, she's double-tipping. Why is that? She's a minority ethnically and a minority sexually. That's exactly right. That's She's jack- a black female lesbian. That's jackpot for the cultural Marxists right there. That's like hitting the lottery. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it's, it's super tenure. It's March to mediocrity on steroids, as we say. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. The stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Get down 
Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We are in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Don't forget the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. The sports talk, fellas, where are they today? Stones Jewelry in Tupelo. Stones Jewelry will have... Magical Christmas savings throughout the entire store. Stones will also celebrate Sanctuary Hospice. Make a donation to Sanctuary Hospice, and you'll be registered to win prizes each hour. So, on the ceasefire text line, Malcolm from Tishomingo says she will not be removed because she is gay and black. Checks all the boxes. Well, you're right, Malcolm. I I think. Rhino was correct on that as well. Let's be honest. She only got hired because of that. Now, I don't think there was any consideration of her qualifications. Oh, but they had a search committee of experts, though, right? Yeah, this is what they came up with. This lady who says that she lost her focus and you had to contextualize this calling for the extermination, the genocide of an entire people. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, you've seen this one up there in Iowa. Not something you'd expect to hear out of Iowa. Satanic temple display at the state capitol. I'm looking at it. There literally is, folks, a devil-type baby, if you will, in a crib, sitting on the floor in the middle of the Iowa State Capitol, along with this other setup of objects, candles and tables, and like this weird-looking sort of Satan figure, full-size, standing by the steps the marble-clad steps of the Capitol there, you, you can tell clearly this is the insides, the interior of such a building. And it's the, the typical representation of a satanic figure, I guess with the big horns. What exactly is that? I don't even know. Is that like a goat with big horns or something? Yeah, I think they have the goat as their imaging. Yeah. So, it's incredible. I can't remember the name. Yeah, I can't either. Hamid. That sounds right. Yep. Quote, people assume that we're here to insult Christians, and we're not. This was from a spokesperson uh, and co-founder of the Satanic Temple. What possesses one to co-found a Satanic Temple? What? A desire for attention. <laughs> I think you're right. It says that I hope I would hope that even people who disagree with the symbolism behind our values what are your values? Hating people? Whether they know that those values are or not would at least appreciate 
that it's certainly a greater evil to allow the government to pick and choose between forms of religious expression. <laughs> Said people aren't forced to interact with the display and they don't have to see it or engage with it. But there are members of the Iowa legislature that are calling for amendments immediately to clarify whether or not such displays or or even to outlaw such displays in the Capitol. They, they point to the preamble of the Iowa Constitution. And I'll read it. We, the people of the state of Iowa, grateful to the supreme being for the blessings hitherto enjoy in feeling our dependence on him in caps, referring to God, of course, for a continuation of those blessings, do ordain and establish a free and independent government by the name of the state of Iowa. So certainly on that basis, it does conflict with the founding, the constituting document of the state. This is bizarre. This is in your face. Give me attention crap. And, of course, they're getting it. And it should come as no surprise, folks, that the half a dozen or so people gathered around this display, which is disgusting, they got masks on. Of course they do. Of course, because they're superior to everybody else who doesn't have them on. That's what that's all about. Really is incredible. So there's some state representatives who who are saying that something needs to be done and that this could certainly test the idea of free speech. What do you think, folks, if if a satanic group showed up here in Mississippi and wanted to set up a satanic display in our state capital? Is that free speech? Does that violate laws? At a minimum, I would describe it as disgusting, as misguided. I, I guess what bothers me, yeah, the pagan idol Baphomet, B-A-P-H-O-M-E-T. This I'm reading a description of what was there. The temple seal, of course you got to have that, the official seal. <laughs> that you're that you worship the devil. You gotta have a seal for that. Good gosh. A caped figure representing the pagan idol Baphomet holding a ribbon bedecked pentangle. Of course you gotta have the obligatory pentangle and topped with a gilded it's a ram. Gilded ram's head. That's right. A ram. No idea where that came from. Anton LaVey. Oh, that did came up with the idea of using a ram? I mean, he was the founder of the Church of Satanism. Okay. And from what I understand, he pretty much just... He didn't come up with it all whole cloth. He was just really into witchcraft and Wiccan beliefs wow. and postmodern spiritualistic systems and just kind of made his own deal. That's disrespectful to rams. I mean... Rams aren't bad creatures. They're a creation of God. Really incredible. Every day I think I've seen it all, and then something else comes up, and it just kind of blows you away. 
Another one that's kind of crazy is the city of El Paso. They're considering a rule that would require their police officers to ask for pronouns and gender identity when they stop people, when they interact with people in general. Certainly that would include traffic violations, for example, if you stop. They'd have to ask for and use an individual's preferred name, gender identity, and pronouns during all interactions, because that, of course, may not correspond with what is found on their license. It's pretty typical. You get stopped. You have an interaction with a police officer. Hey, let me see your license. Certainly if you're driving a vehicle. So now that the leaders of the city of El Paso, which is, of course, inundated with border crossings and trying to deal with that and manage that, Unbelievable. Two officers would be required to be present when interacting with gender-diverse individuals now. And the person would be allowed to express a preference of officer gender for searches. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And the officers would be prohibited from removing appearance-related items. I'm not exactly sure what that means. But, yeah, imagine that. How's that going to go over? You you have a meeting with all your police officers. And by the way, officers, from now on, you gotta you gotta ask the anyone in the public with whom you interact while you're on duty, of course, officially in your uniform, what their preferred pronouns are. Very important. I mean, if they're in the process of committing a violent crime, do you have to stop? You know, when you say halt. Or however they interact with them, you got to make sure you inject the proper pronoun in there. Because that's, of course, high priority. My pronouns are the entirety of war and peace. <laughs> and until you finish <laughs> reciting war and peace, don't talk to me. Or it's a gender violation. Oh, You're my going to jail. <laughs> Over there at the, the COP28 UN Climate Summit, They had an historic agreement yesterday to totally transition away from planet warming. That's the way they describe them, fossil fuels. What the heck are we going to do? Return to living in caves, rubbing sticks together? Granola and sandals. What fool? Kumbaya. (laughs) Coming right back with the final segment in hour one of midday. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays on the ceasefire text line. That's 601-879-4395. Ricky in Aberdeen, with respect to the satanic display now in the state capital of the great state of Iowa, he says that satanic display is simply to get them to say they can't have it. 
so that we can't have the traditional nativity scene there either. Don't even know. Well, of course, Ricky, they tell us, uh, right, Rhino, there's no war on Christianity. No, that's just a figment of your imagination. Kind of like Claudine Gay's academic career. It's imagined. <laughs> um, I, I hear you, Ricky, and it, it, that's probably the biggest concern is, once again, the double standard. Free speech for thee, but not for me, because your free speech is offensive. You know, things like the baby Jesus, Mother Mary, crosses, things like that, wise men, docile creatures such as lambs. Can't have that. That might offend someone. I would just like to point out the old uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease part of the argument. It's not exactly one-to-one because you're probably going to have higher numbers in America, but the American census doesn't really keep up with religious numbers the way other censuses do, like Canada. Yeah. So I've got the numbers for the latest Canadian census, 2021. They have 36,328,480 people. Out of that over 300, or after that, out of that over 36 million people, less than 6,000 are devout Satanists. 6,000. And they're all goofy, guarantee they got they got something else going on. I, you can't convince me that they don't have something else going on that's pulled them in that direction. Maybe it's Satan himself. I don't know. But like I said, it's not one to one. I'm sure the numbers are a little different for yeah. America, but these people are a tiny minority that have a flashy gimmick that they bring up about every five to ten years when they really want attention. It's just another situation where we have tyranny of the minority and that's what it approaches it at a minimum treat it like the liberals treat images of jesus and other christian representations on the ceasefire tax line learn something new sir thought those masks were in place to help with chronic halitosis <laughs> uh it could be maybe that's that's their story and they're sticking to it but i'm uh, i'm down for saying it's just blatant Virtue signaling, a, a attention-getting nonsense is all it is. I can't call for government to tell them no, because one day they may be the majority and call for the government to ban Christian worship, says Thomas and Greenwood. I think it's a matter of whether or not they have the right to display such in a, in a public space, such as a capital. Like, gosh, how many times have we reported on on public sector entities denying display of, of Christmas and Christian symbology and intentionally omitting the word Christmas. We just talked about Governor Gavin Newsom with their annual Christmas tree lighting at the California State Capitol in Sacramento. They canceled the big public event to witness the lighting. It's, it's, uh, it's sort of a festive ceremony for fear of Hamas protests. So they decided to do it inside, and he had the buttons there to turn, did, did Gavin Newsom. They had a few people in for the ceremony, and they recorded it. They live-streamed it. But they, in the, in the press release, in his remarks, in the remarks of the first partner, <laughs> that would be 
his wife, Siebel Newsom, whom the office of the governor refers to as the first partner. If that's just not just the absolute height of virtue signaling through language, Marxist cultural appropriation, I don't know what is. But no mention of the word Christmas anywhere. Oh, but there's no war on it, though. Unbelievable. I drive a Ram, and unfortunately it fits that mold, says Jeff in Grenada. Ever seen Rams fighting? They are bad to the bone, says Darren and Jackson. Antone wrote the song, Hotel California. Oh, Antone LaVey was a, had a son named, has a son, named Satan. Didn't know that. That's the person you said. Yeah, Anton LaVey. And wrote founder the, of the Church of Satan. Wrote the song, Hotel California? That's an urban legend. Oh, that seemed a little... It was I, Glenn I Fry and Don Henley. That's what I thought. With I, help from Don Felder. Right, the uh, famous guitarist of uh, the Eagles. I thought I would have heard about that if that were the case, but not in everything. He will separate the sheep from the goats, hence the separation from God, says Mike from Wesson. Do they have a baby Jesus in a manger display also, says Paul and Meridian? I couldn't find one there at the Capitol. And I'm okay with that. Just It's either all or none, I guess. But good grief, where does this crap come from? Stepping aside for a break, coming right back. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. <laughs> Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays Live in the Element Well studio on this hop day. Out by outside design on the ceasefire text line remarks. So the offender gets to choose who pats them down, but I can't choose who goes to the bathroom with my 12-year-old daughter. Referring to a proposed rule about to be adopted in the city of El Paso requiring police officers, law enforcement there, and I believe it's a sheriff's department, if I'm not mistaken, that patrols the city and the entire county. I think it's El Paso County, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, they would have to ask anyone with whom they interact in their official capacity as a law enforcement officer what their preferred pronouns are and what name they'd like to be referred to or by. Because, of course, the officer is typically going to ask you to present your driver's license, and it may have gender and name on it that doesn't correspond with how you identify. So we got to get it right. Very important. Unbelievable. No, you're right. Outside design, that's totally upside down. I agree. we got to respect pronouns, but that also includes allowing a dude to go to the bathroom with your 12-year-old daughter. Totally upside down. Again, cultural Marxism at play there. 
I saw where Senator Wicker, this is from Ben, <clears throat> from Madison, is already spending money on his re-election campaign. I think he feels vulnerable for the first time in a very long time. I expect it to be a fairly crowded primary. Um, aware of a couple of uh, primary challengers there, Ben? I, I think that he's sitting on, uh, last time we checked, about $3 million, and so I would expect that he would invest that in the primary. Keep this in mind, Ben. The primary election uh, this cycle is in March. It's in March this year, last time I checked. It's typically in June, so it's in March. Moved up. Not a lot of time. I don't expect, Ben, I'm not sure when the final date to file for re-election is. I really don't expect it to be a very crowded primary. That's just me. Johnny in West Point says, speaking to the satanic statue, they absolutely have the right under the First Amendment, in my opinion. If the city and state leaders were Christian, as they claim, wouldn't let it happen because, in my opinion, it would bring about the judgment of Almighty God. Let's see. In the name of modern art, someone can replicate the satanic display and then smear faces on it. I guess we just go back and forth. In infinitum. I think he meant feces. Oh, I got you. Well, yeah. Um, sure. Like I said, I mean, we just tit for tat back and forth. Don't know what that gets us. Uh, yeah, because all that orange paint on artwork in museums is really stopping oil. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Talking about the defacing of some of the famous art, like in the Louvre, right? I think that's been done. Or gluing their hands to the pavement. <laughs> yeah. And then screaming when the police come along and just yank them right up. Yeah, that did it. That stopped it. The same. All while wearing a safety vest made of oil products. <laughs> that's true. And, of course, communicating on their phone, which you know has some... Uh, some elements of of uh, oil involved in the production of the components. Also, rare earth elements that are really difficult to mine, and true, the mining process is usually damaging to the environment. Absolutely true. And don't forget about the fossil fuels powered energy necessary to manufacture the object and transport it. It's just nuts. The same stuff says CC in Senatobia, is just another sign of where all this is headed. Got some after-school Satan clubs starting in Memphis ne- next month. I saw the, a report on that. People need to get right with Jesus and do right according to God's Word. All the positive thinking in the world can't change where this is headed. Well, I, I hear you, CC. I, I don't think this fascination, if you will, obsession with Satan and these little Satan cultist groups. It's not new. It's been around a long time. I, I don't see any evidence that it's expanding. I think they just have tools available to get the word out and call attention to themselves, as you point out. Is yeah, I mean, to put them in direction. perspective, the Church of Satan was an offshoot of oddballs from the counterculture of the mid to late 60s. Yeah. So they're a group of people that the hippies were like, you know what? I don't want to hang out with y'all. Y'all are weird. <laughs> so they made their own little subgroup, their own little counterculture to the counterculture that was counter to the culture of the time. That's exactly right. 
<laughs> it's but it is disturbing to me more so that this march to mediocrity, this quest for so-called equity, equal outcomes regardless of performance, regardless of merit, regardless of value. It is disturbing. And we saw this on display last week in the U.S. House of Representatives when three presidents of so-called elite universities, of course we now refer to them as expensive universities, no longer are they elite, given that they seem to be okay with people running around calling for the genocide of Jews. Not only that, they it's, it's more than just the chanting, the protest, the language I'd kind of say, okay, well, you're entitled to to protest. Now, I have a problem in that, but you, private institutions, have a code of conduct. Does this violate it? And they kept saying, well, it depends on the context. And when you look at the code of conduct, it's pretty clear it violates it, but you take no action in the name of free speech. But if somebody used the wrong pronoun... You'd hang them up in the square, in the center of campus. There's just no doubt about that. That's the problem. They've deemed who are the oppressors, who are the victims, and because Jews are white people, they don't fall into the category of being victims, even though people are calling for them to be wiped off the face of the earth. You're not a victim. But more importantly, there's been behavior. There's been conduct, more than just words blocking them, harassing them, threatening them, physically threatening individuals who are of the Jewish faith on the campus, that doesn't violate the code of conduct? I mean, I could kind of see where you say, if somebody said, I hate Jews, okay, you have the right to say that, in my views, is a function of free speech. But when you start threatening them, that's that crosses the line. Now you're harming someone. Well, there's at least one Ivy League institution that's not putting up with the nonsense. Which one? That would be Brown. Okay, they are. Brown had a student-led protest where they were trying to stage a sit-in in a, how did they put it, a secured building on yeah. the campus. Yeah. And 41 of the protesters were arrested. Good right for Right there on site. So was it because they didn't have the proper authorization, you think, to conduct? Or were they protesting where it's not allowed, perhaps, doing the sit-in? I, mean, I think it was part some... of the, the secured building thing. Like, no, we we locked this building down. Students aren't okay. allowed in here, so you are trespassing if you stay in here. Well, that's Like, real. they made a point to, to tell the protesting students, look, this is not going to end well for you. I think they even went to the point of saying, if you are an international student, this may have different consequences for you if you were arrested. That's absolutely perfectly fine, in my view. I mean, that's very reasonable. There's no doubt about that. You know, you should know, though, that Harvard and the Ivy League, they've got a history. I didn't know that, honestly, of discriminating against Jews. Literally had quotas. Because Jews were scoring very well on all the various admissions tests, and of course they're performing well in high school. and they, they, In other words, they, they meet the standards for admission, the, the rigorous academic standards for admission, but yet they're saying, we're getting too many. we got to cut that out. Well, that's blatant discrimination. That's on your history. That's on your resume, Harvard and Ivy League, who, who, who claim to be all about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but, but only for certain 
categories of people, certain demographics. And, and that's what I believe is just a huge concern. Um, you know, the, the Democrats, I believe this, this DEI movement is really a war not only on merit and merit and value and performance being the key factors and the key credentials to be used, qualifications to be used in determining outcomes, be it hiring, compensation, promotion, but it's a war on competence. And I'll explain that when we return something that I came across yesterday that uh, happened during the Obama administration, and it deals with the Federal Aviation Administration. That on the other side of the break with Blue Collar Man bumping us out of this segment. We're in the Element Well studio. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Ben from Madison says, didn't realize that. Talking about the uh, the election for U.S. Senate next year in the state of Mississippi, incumbent uh, Senator Roger Wicker running for re-election for the seat he presently holds, and so the the uh, the actual primary date is a bit different this year than in prior years, uh, and I'm not exactly sure why. Prior cycles, it is on March the twelfth. March the twelfth. I did. Looked that up. I said in a couple of segments ago, I thought it was in March this year, moved up from the typical June date for primary. And I believe, Rhino, in accordance with our laws, filing deadlines are always 60 days in advance of the primary. And that, that actually, right, yeah. and that, let's see, let me think about it. I'm not sure if that's law or because primaries are conducted by the party if that's in accordance with party rules. So I'm not sure, honestly. But nonetheless, the filing deadline is January the 12th, 60 days prior. So ain't much time, right? We're less than a month by day. I would imagine the timeline would be set in state law, but then the parties would have leeway to make it more stringent. I can see that, yeah. Like the the state law would dictate a minimum amount of time before the election, whereas the parties could go, you got to have it in. Three years before, if they yeah, really wanted to. That makes sense. That makes sense. So uh, Ben says, yeah, in that case, I believe you're right. So I just said that um, I know of a couple of folks that uh, have already filed to run for the office to challenge the senator. Uh, I, I don't know that there are going to be too many, if any, additional, but they got less than a month to file. Of course, it, you could always be surprised. We've seen that happen before. You, someone kind of shows up on filing day. I'm here. I'm filing. Keeps it under wraps. But here's the thing. It takes some pretty serious backing to run for Senate. 
Well, any statewide office, of course, does. U.S. Senate, no exception. Um, uh, but in this case, if you are waiting until then, you got two months. Right. Pretty hard to traverse the state and campaign unless you got a whole bunch of money to fill the airwaves up in the media. Or well, you've spent the last decade or so doing a really good job of a really quiet grassroots movement. Yeah, but building your name, because that's essential. I, I mean, I'd, if you look at who would be kind of in that category, most of that would be our present statewide leaders in the state. And I, all of those ran for re-election. The exception would be uh, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. But in my conversations with him, he's indicated that um, he doesn't plan on running for that office. Now, I'm, I'm just sharing what he's told me. I don't know that he said that publicly, and I don't think he minds me saying that. I also believe he would have already filed if he were running. <clears throat> but that ought to be uh, certainly interesting. On the ceasefire tax line, all those officers should walk out on the pronouns. We're talking about the county of El Paso requiring potentially. They haven't adopted this rule yet, but they are considering a rule that would require officers of the county, law enforcement officers, when interacting with the public to request of whom they're interacting with their preferred pronouns and name. That seems like such a waste and such an imposition. I mean, so you, you've talked about this before. What what a, a, a fraction of the population, folks who care about their pronouns, for example, and who choose a name different than the one that appears on their driver's license. How many people are we accommodating here? It seems like a, a lot of hassle. And to some degree, their cost, because just adopting, publishing, drafting, teaching, training, that costs money. Well, if the history of this movement is any indication mm. as the future of the movement, it'll never be enough. So they implement this, and the officer asks, what's your pronoun, your preferred name? And then they happen to write it on something that says alias. Oh, that's <laughs> offensive. It's not an alias. It's my name. Oh, and then they so get true. all bent out of shape over that. And then they've come up with some way to correct that. And then step three happens, and they do something that you couldn't possibly <laughs> imagine would be offensive, but somebody's going to find it offensive. Uh, that's so true. That's so true. Um, it, it, it does. They do keep pushing. So I, I said in the last segment that not only is this this explosion of DEI where the goal, at least purportedly, is to achieve equal outcomes, it sounds so communist, isn't it? Because it is. <laughs> I mean, next, what are we going to do? Require those officers to start wearing blue or gray pajamas with a Nehru collar, right? Button up, smocks. Well, I didn't realize. Well, so I said that not only is this this quest for equity totally misguided, where outcomes are are based on these physical attributes and whom the cultural Marxists have deemed to be the victims. Okay, so I didn't know. In 2013, 10 years ago, 
President Barack Obama at the time, who, if you do some research, is largely thought to be kind of the originator of the, the, the current DEI craze. Who could forget the Beer Summit? Remember that? with a Was it a police officer and person there? I think it was in Cambridge, was it not? Where Harvard is situated, I seem to recall. But nonetheless, he... Um, he got involved in hiring practices at the Federal Aviation Administration. This is another situation where the president has pretty broad power over the agency spectrum, and in this case, the FAA is one of them. So they can do this without any sort of congressional authority. And he, he told the FAA to scrap a list of job candidates that included more than a 1,000 graduates of air traffic control schools. Now, maybe I'm just radical here, but I seem to think that graduating from air traffic control school would be pretty important if you're going to be an air traffic controller. One would think. Well, not according to President Obama at the time. He wanted to scrap the list so they could add a new biological test that would, quote, diversify the workforce. 2013. Now, this was a response by Mr. Obama to complaints. I didn't know there was such an organization, but here it goes. The National Black Coalition of Federal Aviation Employees, which argued that, hey, only 9.5% of FAA workers are black. 17.6% black population uh, or representation in the overall federal workforce, civilian workforce. So the FAA was dictated, mandated, you will increase your number of black workers by 8.1%. So guess what they did to achieve that goal? They, of course, lowered the standards. Now, that doesn't mean this is where people get this whole discussion wrong, that doesn't mean that black people aren't qualified to be air traffic controllers. But it ain't based on their race. That doesn't qualify them. Nor does it qualify a white person. It doesn't. What qualifies you is passing the dang school and proving you can control traffic in the air. That's what qualifies you. Pretty simple. So they lowered the standards so they could sort of overcome these anti-black stereotypes. So the testing and the training was anti-black simply because they didn't achieve this statistical goal of composition and breakdown by race in their workforce. So this is what they did. An applicant was awarded 15 points the highest possible for any question, if they said their lowest grades in high school were in science. I don't even get that. And 10 points if the candidate had not been employed in the past three years. So if you've been unemployed in the past three years, you get more points to be an air traffic controller. And this was according to a lawsuit that I found that was filed by the Mountain States Legal Foundation. Applicants were awarded only two points. Get this. Only two if you actually were a pilot. 
You only got two. But if you failed science, you got ten. This is what happens when the soft sciences try to do hard science. They just fail miserably. This is total failure. So, as it turns out, the aviation folks are saying, we got clear signs of strain that we can't ignore here. We've seen a number of these close call incidents, have we not, in the past few months? It's on the uptick. Maybe this is why. We got incompetent people running the nation's air traffic. Coming right back. Stay with us. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. back everyone it's middays a little christmas music there that's the boston pops i think oh yeah so we got some breaking news to share with you you recall that the governor sent a request to center for medicaid medicare medicaid cms it's known short that would be the agency that oversees those government health care programs sent a request to enhance reimbursement from the federal government, the federal government's part in Medicaid. It is a jointly funded program. Mostly the money comes from the federal government. It's based on a state's uh, per capita income. Ours happens to be the highest percentage of total Medicaid costs derived from the federal government. sits at about 76 or so percent. But nonetheless, the amount the dollar value of um, those services is, to, to a great extent, dictated by Medicaid. The governor went uh, and found a way that had been done in a couple of other states of requesting some en- enhancements to the payment model, the payment structure, so that the federal government would pay Mississippi more money, more money uh, under the program for existing coverage groups. This isn't expanding Medicaid to the new coverage group authorized under Obamacare, called the able-bodied adults. But it looks like, uh, officially, at least from the governor's office, that most of that request at this point has been approved, still waiting on the other. Tell us what uh, the governor said specifically on Twitter. Yeah, he sent out a tweet about 15, 20 minutes ago that says, I'm very happy to report that CMS has reviewed and approved the first component of my Medicaid reimbursement reform plan. This means an extra $600 million for hospitals across the state. This is a major win for Mississippi and will help to strengthen our state's health care system. I'm thankful for all the medical professionals and health care leaders who helped us get this done. Yeah, no doubt. So it's big time, $600 million. Remember, the total request was right about 700 and that's still outstanding. Um, there, there are a couple of components is why. There's the fee-for-service part of it, and, uh, and then there's the managed care uh, component of Medicaid, and so that's kind of how this request was structured uh, to enhance payments through both of uh, those systems. So that's good news for the state of Mississippi. That's a big win for the governor. It's right at about the 90-day mark, is it not, Rhino? I think the official request 
was submitted to CMS third week of September or something to that effect. It was, uh, I tell you, it happened on a day I was off. I happened to be speaking to the uh, Society CPA, so I, I want to say that was, and that's, that's how I kind of remember it, was the third week or so of uh, sep- September. So just at about 90 days, it's good news. Uh, I think a good Christmas present there for the state of Mississippi. I know the hospitals are certainly happy to see this. And this was done, again, uh, just by requesting an enhancement to the payment structure, uh, the present payment structure, the present program. So it's just the federal government essentially increasing the reimbursement amount to the state for its share of funding the Medicaid program within the state. So that's that's a big win, no doubt about it. And, and this was done, uh, did not necessitate uh, any sort of legislative approval uh, because this is just really asking for uh, reform, as the governor describes it, to the existing program. So good stuff. Appreciate that. This is Robert in Jackson. My pronouns are Your Royal Highness. Well, we got Your Royal, Royal Highness from Robert, and Rhinos is War and Peace. So <laughs> there you go. How does a police officer remember all that? They'd have to write all that down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Incredible. We all know what Reagan did with the striking air traffic controllers back in the 80s. Can you imagine what he would have to say about this? Well, that's Tim from Tupelo. Yeah, let's think about that, Tim. Ronald Reagan would have never ordered the FAA, hey, you got to go hire more people of color. Forget about qualifications and credentials. I want to see those statistics reflect a higher percentage right, of black air traffic controllers. I don't care if they're qualified or not. And again, that doesn't mean that there aren't qualified black air traffic controllers. I got to know a couple when I was a pilot. A couple worked here. That's that's just that's not true. It's the issue is can you do the job? Any clear thinking people believe that. And this idea that anybody sitting out there as an employer where you're desperate for workers across the industry discipline, oh, yeah, well, I only hire people of this race and this ethnicity. That's just nonsense. I don't know anybody that considers that. And I, and I honestly think when you look at this stuff going on, particularly in the Ivy Leagues with these three presidents that couldn't seem to come to grips with the idea that calling for genocide, and more importantly, threatening, interfering with the life, if you will, of a student on camp on their campuses, a Jewish student, and and uh, their learning, their education, their experience on the campus. That's happening. It's more than just words, but they couldn't find it in themselves to denounce that, to declare that it is in violation of their codes of conduct, respectively. You feel like they just want all this to go away. Oh, you guys found out what's going on here. We don't want to hear from you little people about this anti-Semitism stuff. You're interfering with our 
implementation of Marxism on our campus and our brainwashing of our students to be good little obedient Marxists. Go away. I really do think that's going on. And I think the reason that Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, was so smug on the Hill. I mean, she didn't exactly distinguish herself as an Ivy League president. None of them did. She's one of them. She is a cultural Marxist. You couldn't convince me otherwise. I just, I, I, I wouldn't buy it. And I think she gets hired on that basis. And now she's a champion for and protecting that radical, twisted ideology. Unbelievable. Cutting the out-of-wedlock birth rate, as Gary the Berg points out to us all the time, in half, thus increasing the number of two-parent families would do much to reduce dependence on Medicaid, leading the nation in out-of-wedlock births as an ongoing disaster. Absolutely, Gary. And I agree with you and have been sounding that alarm for, seems like, 20 years. But it's, uh, again, that's a, a significant change in, in societal behavior that would have to occur to reverse that trend, uh, not only in Mississippi, but across the nation. And it's another situation where if you even talk about it, suggest it, and, and more importantly, point to it as a problem and um, a- attempt to solve it, I mean, you get immediately demeaned and condemned and castigated. It's it's. It's terrible. So thus, the problem just persists. Why are we just now requesting the enhancement? Oh, yeah, because Presley forced his hand on the ceasefire text line. I actually don't think that's the case. This this enhancement that's been done in a couple other states, uh, specifically Tennessee and Florida, they're not terribly old. Uh, Those haven't been around uh, that long. And, uh, I mean, it, it could be as simple as, Folks that understand all those complexities, especially from the healthcare uh, perspective, those that are in the healthcare in the, in the healthcare providing business, hospitals had um, found this, determined it, and suggested it, championed it. I, I really do believe that's what happened. And that's from talking to people in the healthcare industry, in the hospitals specifically, administrators that have that have suggested that that they were aware of that in other states, and upon becoming aware of it, felt like it had application here in our state, and that's when they approached uh, the governor about it, and of course he he worked with them and put that on the table. Reagan was a devout racist, says Thomas in Greenwood. As governor of California, he signed the Mulford Act to ban open carry because he didn't like the Black Panthers exercising their right to carry. So he definitely wouldn't help black air traffic controllers. Why am I not surprised that Thomas would introduce the subject of guns into (laughs) this discussion? We're stepping aside for a break. We're in the Element Well studio coming right back.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Quest line, that's rare earth. Hey, big brother. Appreciate that, Rhino. Who was that that asked for that? Gary and the Bird, right? Believe so. So, if you're just tuning in, a uh, big announcement here in the state is that the governor's request of CMS, federal CMS, that's the agency that operates the Medicaid program in the country, the governor requested. Uh, an enhancement to the reimbursement model uh, for the state of Mississippi. And uh, the big chunk of that, some $700 million a year, is what the value of that enhancement is. And around 600, a little over $600 million of that has been improved. There's uh, approved, approved. There, there are two delivery models of Medicaid. There's the managed care organization, MCO. That's just a third-party provider that provides these services for a set monthly fee to the state, and then there's the fee-for-service. That's kind of what you're accustomed to with your typical commercial insurance, um, each service performed by the healthcare professional has a reimbursement rate assigned to it, negotiated with uh, your insurer. They reimburse the the provider at that negotiated rate. So there's two delivery models, and, that, and that's the way this, this – uh, reformed reimbursement model was structured, additional money for the MCO portion and the fee-for-service. But it's good news for the state of Mississippi. And by the way, the state's portion of that will be covered by additional fees paid by the hospitals. So the hospitals, in return, are getting higher reimbursement for their services performed under Medicaid. That was the deal. So no out-of-pocket costs to state taxpayers from a state tax, income tax perspective, or sales tax. This covers our general fund. So that's good news for the state of Mississippi. Just wanted to uh, pass that on to you. Well, let's see here. My pronouns, according to Tim from Tupelo, are cornbread and pinto beans. You guys are making this way too dead gum complicated. Who could possibly remember all these crazy pronouns? Rhino's already claimed war and peace. I don't know how that's going to work, but surely you, you have the right to declare that, right? It's your identity. Who could question that? <laughs> also wanted to pass on, related to this announcement on Medicaid, somewhat, also news from the healthcare front, that the Food and Drug Administration last Friday, I've been meaning to get to, to this story 
over the week, but uh, haven't yet. But here it is. They've approved this new treatment for sickle cell disease. This is huge. I think we actually talked about this a few months ago. I I heard from a couple of my physician friends this thing was in the works, that presentations had been made by Vertex Pharmaceuticals and CRISPR Therapeutics. They're the makers of this new therapy called, I may mispronounce it, Casgevy, C-A-S-G-E-V-Y. And it's it's um, the the CRISPR therapeutics portion uses gene editing tools to essentially modify these misbehaving cells that are in the shape of a sickle. That's uh, that's why it's called sickle cell disease, and it and it's it's brutal. I mean, if you know anybody that has it, you're subject to some sort of attack, if you will, or spell. I've witnessed it, and man, it's well. I mean, and it's it is brutal. Most fundamental, it is your red blood cells not carrying oxygen to your body. Okay. So imagine how painful it is when a limb falls asleep, like you've sat in a funny position and your leg falls asleep or your foot falls asleep, and the the pain of your your body not getting enough oxygen in that limb. Now imagine that happening all over yeah and there's no real good way to get it back going like you can stand up and get the blood flowing in the leg and with the sickle cell sometimes the attack can just last man well up until now the only cure has been and it's not a sure thing has been a bone marrow transplant from a matching donor of course you always have the risk of rejection and then Often there's sometimes, I believe, chemotherapy even possibly associated with that as well. It takes a long time. It's a difficult process to just find a matching donor. Uh, and then, of course, administer the treatment is, is fairly brutal. But this is, uh, this is big news. Uh, the, the cost, $2.2 million per patient. So think about how that might impact Medicaid, for example. And that's what they were seeking was approval to have it Medicaid, Medicaid reimbursable. That's going to happen. We're, we're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. It's Sandy Middleton. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's the afternoon portion of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this hump day. Yes, we are. We welcome to the program now Sandy Middleton, Executive Director of the Center for Violence Prevention, Dr. Aaron Green, Grants Ferry Family Dentistry, and Dr. Lindsey Jerome, Obstetrician and Gynecologist. Three beautiful ladies in the studio today. Appreciate you folks coming in. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Give us an update first, Sandy, on uh, last time I saw you, we were at Squat and Gobble. 
Yeah, it was our, fun. Our Great good night. friend Tommy Turk that um, puts that thing on. Great night there. Speaker of the House Philip Gunn uh, made a passionate speech about uh, his interest in in uh, addressing this scourge of human trafficking in our state. Championed some legislation that has been enacted. Uh, every time I hear the stories, uh, either from you or from uh, Attorney General Fitch, uh, others involved in in fighting this problem in our state. I'm always blown away, honestly. Can't right. believe it's happening. It's inhumane. It's unthinkable. It's it's evil what humans can do to other humans, especially young people so that true. are helpless. So true. Give us an update. Well, we're getting ready for Christmas. It's a great time around the center. We have both of our shelters are full of clients, and so we provide Christmas for all of our residents and their kids every year. So it's it's a joyful time in the midst of, of struggle for many of the victims that we serve. We also take care of the uh, anybody that's received our services over the year um, is eligible for Christmas. And, you know, people are bringing gifts in and bringing food in, and we're just feeling a lot of love from the community this time of the year and and we hope our clients feel the same thing and it, we we just we're just here to provide hope and help and it's a great time to demonstrate that so dr green you provide services to uh, victims of human trafficking you've you've had some experience doing that how, how do they come to you i do um i actually got involved in it within the last year i heard about the center and the opportunity and the need for it at church and um, the message was kind of kind of what Sandy and I were talking about. Instead of looking for something, some way to serve, something to get involved in, just offering your, you know, your professional services. So mm-hmm. um, that God used that to speak to me and let me get involved with this organization. And so I've been able to help um, multiple women this year, which has been really gratifying for me too. What about you, Dr. Jerome? What what led you uh, to provide services to these victims? Uh, kind of the same as Dr. Green. Um, I go to Pine Lake, and we had a um, the human misdemeanors against human trafficking was the um, the um, Love First initiative that Pine Lake went through. Mm-hmm. I think it was two years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I called and was like, "Hey, I I don't know how I can help, but." I'm available, um, and basically, like like Aaron said, I'm I'm doing something that I do all day every day, and I'm just handing those services over to to Sandy and her people, and tell me how I can help. Um, yeah. So it's like like she said, very gratifying that you can provide something that you were doing anyway um, to people that really need it. Yeah. So when when these patients come to you, uh, do they often have um, illnesses or or just conditions that are a result of their experience? Um, I take care of lots of different situations. I'm yeah. an OBGYN, so I deliver babies and I take care of other other problems that people have. Um, I have taken care of some people in some emergent situations that needed to go to the operating room um, just from a result of of being in a bad situation. Yeah. Um, and so I've been able to to kind of help speed the process along where they may have been stuck at the university or somewhere else where they wouldn't have gotten seen immediately. And so I've been able to kind of move a little bit quicker um, and getting people taken care of. She's being modest. She has, she is the boss when it comes to the love and the care that she provides for, for victims. And then they have been terribly injured and, and she's basically shut her clinic down to take care of, of a client and clients in that situation. So yeah. she's being modest. 
as Dr. Green is as well. So, Dr. Green, do, do they often show up um, in your office where you're providing uh, services, treatment? Uh, you see neglect, perhaps, as a result of this? They're, they're behind on just taking care of themselves in this regard? Possibly. They're everybody's story, even even just an average patient, everybody has a story to yeah. where, why they are where they are with their, their oral health. But yep. the cool thing about these women is they're ready to to heal. They, they want to get back into, you know, maybe a, a normal job. And unfortunately, you're not you're not treated the same way if you, you know, have a terrible oral health sure. or missing a lot of teeth so um so that's been pretty much the situation i would say with most of them um nobody has exactly been in just a lot of pain but it's just been preventing them from moving forward with their I life got you. Well, dr jerome but were, were there situations you encounter where it's like the nick of time had, had they not landed in your office with you taking care of them, treating them, that uh, a situation could have really exacerbated into a much more serious problem? Definitely. I've had um, people that are bleeding profusely that need to stop bleeding, Um, and so we've been able to fix that. I've um, delivered a couple of babies um, that were a result of of being in Mm. in a trafficking situation, and and Sandy and her team have taken them in and um, just helped them get routine prenatal care, um, which is you know, we've caught some things on babies that wouldn't have been identified. So um, all of that is, you know, I mean, you need care. Yeah, um, and sure. so definitely people have not been able to get that. Either they're uninsured or they um, have just been in a situation where they didn't even know where they could go. Um, and so we just kind of provide an open door and say, hey, you know, we we want to help you. We want to take care of you. Um, so it's it's been... Sandy, you're about to say something. Well, I was just going to say we we want to make sure that anybody listening these are these are services that are through a partnership with the center, and you know we don't we don't show up. I mean, you know they are able to access these services through the center, so um, we we don't want anybody to go show up at one of the clinics. <laughs> but uh, that that's how that works. I mean, they um, usually are you know committed to the long term program that we offer through the tower, and so. So it's kind of a, um, you know, we say it's treating these clients, it's like peeling an onion. And, and you just, you know, you just, the immediate needs may be Dr. Jerome, um, it may be food, health, safety. And then you, then you start to get to the other issues like, you know, and Dr. Green and her services and other people that are like them come into play. And, you know, they provide services for the next step. And so, and that's the cool thing. That's why we wanted to honor them with the Angel Award this year is because they're such a shining example of volunteerism and we just wanted people to know that you know volunteerism can just mean providing the service that you already provide and and you know using the talent that the lord gave you to bless other people in your setting and and they're just such a, an amazing example of that yeah absolutely uh, I just I just wonder if we we didn't have kind-hearted people like this, what the situation would would be like. They're already in terrible scenarios, and and um, I guess I think about all those that need these services now. You know, how do we get to them? Right. And I know that's what you guys work on all the time. And, and speaking of which, uh, you know, the we were talking about the legislative session is less than a month away from kicking off. What's uh, what's on your radar to visit with uh, our lawmakers about this year? 
Well, you know, I've got something on my mind, Jordan. Well, of course, I you do. That's why I asked. So, <laughs> so um, we were unfortunately notified a few weeks ago that we are receiving a forty-one percent cut in our VOCA grant, which is our federal grant. And it's not just our agency; it's all of the agencies across the state of Mississippi who provide victim services. And so, for us, it's been about a half a million dollar cut. And so, we're we're going to be going to the legislature to ask them for help with state funding for victim services. And, and, you know, they've been very gracious. And, of course, you know, through, through the leadership, I mean, we've been blessed with, with leadership that is supportive of, of the things that we do. And so we're hopeful that they'll help us close that gap for funding so we won't have to cut services. Have you thought about maybe requesting um, that uh, there be some tax treatment that's similar to the uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center's tax treatment, where you can get a, a dollar-for-dollar credit for donations to the Right, right. I mean, we would love to do that. We would. I mean, we're open to anything that the legislative, you know, the appropriations folks that that they think is viable mm-hmm. as an option for us. So yes, we're we're open to anything. I mean, it's 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 going to mm-hmm. be. Um, really tough to, to continue. And we know that VOCA is going to be decreasing next year as well. So this, this isn't a good picture for us moving forward with our federal funding. Got you. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate uh, you folks coming in and uh, doctors, um, Aaron Green and uh, Dr. Lindsay Jerome. We appreciate you for your, your generosity. Yes. And uh, your willingness to, to um, help here and to provide your, your God-given talents to these people who are so much in need. Thanks a lot. Congratulations on your award, too. Appreciate it. All right, folks, we're stepping aside for a break. Sandy's going to stay with us, and we also have a special guest. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone knows all about my direction. And in my heart somewhere, I'm going Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're in the Element Well studio. We welcome back Sandy Middleton, Executive Director of the Center for Violence Prevention, and we also welcome Grace. Grace is a human trafficking survivor. Welcome, Grace. Thanks for coming on. Good afternoon. You look great. Thank you much. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming in. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. So I, I noticed that uh, when we were making the exchange of the guests there, you uh, you were embracing uh, Drs. Uh, Green and Jerome. You must know I definitely do. Well, I know them through the center, and so it's definitely been a great experience to get to know them. What do you think about uh, the work they do to help out folks? Uh, I think that without people with such magnitude and the hearts that they have, I think that the world would be, you know, a less loved world. And so with what the skills and the love that they give, you know, I think that it's just amazing. Definitely yeah. uplifting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I could tell there was a special connection there. It's life-giving to yeah. be able to be in the presence of, you know, such people that just they just care, you know. Sure. Yep. Truly awesome. 
definitely. So um, on um, in your uh, recovery journey, can you talk about some of the other folks that have helped you out and um, the, the sorts of, of services you've received and, and assistance? Oh, definitely. Um, this journey, it's been it's been quite a long journey. It's, it's taken a couple years, you know. Um, but throughout that journey, I've had such amazing people that have definitely uplifted me, um, you know, brought the light to my darkness. Um, I've had doctors. I've had lawyers. I've had, you know, the Center for Violence Prevention. They've definitely been there since day one, literally. Um, they've never given up on me. They've always had hope for me. And they've always given me the best tools and resources to be able to become, you know, a survivor and be able to thrive in that, you know, that this life. Yeah. Yep. So uh, what are you what are you doing these days? I understand you're on the board now. I am. I'm on the board of directors. I'm the secretary. Yeah. Um, definitely making major moves these days. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Life is good. Yeah. Um, life is very good. I definitely awesome. have purpose. Yep. So I'm walking in my purpose and I'm using my voice to be able to help the voiceless here. You know, there's other yeah. people that, you know, you can reach down and help them. So, you know, I want to be able to be what was freely given to me. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, and uh, so uh, I got to believe that your input as being part of the board and, and, and working with the center is, is vital uh, to them des- designing their, their services portfolio and just their, their response mechanisms. It's pretty valuable. Yeah, and I, I definitely, I'm so thankful, you know, to be able to be a part of that, to, you know, be able to be in, involved in such, you know, just such a great place to be. Yeah. She also went and visited with Speaker Gunn, and yeah. she's been up at the Capitol, and, and she will continue to do that because there's nobody that can deliver the message for what survivors need any better than somebody who's walked that journey. Sure. And, and so she's she's made some great, powerful friends through, through this process as well that love her just as much as I do. Definitely. Definitely giving me a lot of purpose and to be able to walk in that purpose, you know, and uh, to be able to have beauty from the ashes. You know, people think because you have so many ashes, you know, that you'll never, ever have beautiful things with it. And, you know, that's that's not true. And to be able to feel, you know, accomplished, you know, to go from definitely one end of the spectrum to, you know, the total opposite and to walk with my head up a little bit higher these days, you know, have a lot of respect for myself. And, you know, I'm I'm definitely thankful and grateful. That's awesome. a bit of it. Well, as, as Sandy well knows, the uh, the there's an art uh, to working with our lawmakers uh, to get legislation mm-hmm. passed, and and it, the art is selling. Honestly, mm-hmm. you, you got right. to, you got to sell the value yep. of what you're trying to do. I think you'd be a pretty good salesperson. Your <laughs> smile is infectious, and and uh, your tone and your demeanor are, are perfect for that. Honestly, and I thank you. Can't imagine that. Uh, Folks would not respond positive to lead to that, so you should you should take pride in that. I, I'm, Thank you. I'm personally incredibly impressed. So Thank just you very to let much. You know. And what a blessing! Unbelievable. You know, I mean, what a blessing! And it's just you know, people say, "Well, how do you do this work?" She's sitting right there. Yeah. That's that's how we do this work is because it's it's so amazing to see how victims can turn to survivors and and how they can just soak up the good things that are put in front of them if they just have the chance, if they have the Mm -hmm. appropriate programming and the trauma counseling and everything. And, you know, like she so beautifully said, I mean, you know, you may start one place, but you can end at at a totally different place. Sure. 
So it's just what it's all about, and I'm just so delighted that that Grace could be here with us today. And and uh, I mean, we have a bond that will never be broken <laughs> ever, never ever. Well, Grace, you made a statement that kind of stuck with me and resonated, which is uh, you see yourself as being a voice for the voiceless. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, first of all, it's brave uh, on your part. Thank you. Um, You know, that that now that you've been through the recovery journey, and again, you look great. Thank you. You seem to be in great, great health, great condition, which I I know was not an easy undertaking. Not at all. Uh, But the fact that you're willing to stay involved. And, and give back yep. and, and and try to provide some assistance, uh, even with just input and your knowledge of yep. these, these situations to help, as you say, the voiceless. It's incredibly admirable. You'll be blessed for it, no doubt about that. So what Thank what, you. what kind of motivated you to, to stay with it and keep, keep going? You could have just walked away. Yep. I definitely could have walked away, um, which I'll never do because yeah. I'll, I'll never cower down. You know, I'm going to stand tall. I'm going to going to be brave and I'm going to continue to use my voice because so many people out there that have no one that, you know, they think they have no one. But in actuality, like you really have so many people that are surrounding you and that want to help uplift you and bring you out of those trenches. You know, being in the trenches is what motivated me the most. You know, being in the pits of hell, being in. You know, just just the atmosphere, the environment, um, walking in these the storms that I've walked in, you know, um, it takes a very strong individual to be able to come out of those and be able to, you know, like I'm going to set fire to the rain, literally like, you know, I'm going to be everything that. God allows me to be for who he needs me to be there for. And to be able to use my voice is definitely the most powerful tool that I have. And so I'm definitely grateful for the opportunity and chance and definitely don't give, I'm not going to give up and I won't give in. So definitely going to keep fighting. Well, that, I would say that's good news uh, for, for the effort yep. to, to try to completely eradicate this scourge definitely. Uh, in our state and in our, in our country. Do, do you feel like there was a calling there from from God above that um, touched you? I got chills, definitely. Um, you know, when when you're when you're so alone and in the darkness, you know, you want to ask God sometimes. You know, God, you know, what is my purpose in life? I don't have a purpose here. You know, you get so discouraged, and you definitely just feel like you know, life isn't worth living sometimes. You know, and to be able to just you know have people around me and, you know, the community that I have around me and everyone that has, you know, put their their time and their effort and their love around me, it's definitely, it's been life-saving and it's been a life-changer to me. And so, yeah. She she so beautifully works with victims from when they come in. She comes out to the tower and and spends time with them. And, you know, because they understand. I mean, she's been there. She knows what they're going through. She knows the the fears, the the specific um, things that, that the barriers that are that are keeping yeah. them from progressing. She gets it. She's lived it. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about that lived in experience and, and she's able to provide such a huge encouragement to people when they very first start their journey. And, sure. and that's just one of the most amazing things that yeah. that she's doing with her life right now. You know, those of us, Sandy, who who have been blessed and that we haven't had to experience that or don't have any any loved ones that have, we we feel 
I mean, it's a range of emotions that I feel about it. I, I, I feel sadness. I feel sorrow, um, obviously, for the victims. Right. Um, I, I feel anger right. that, it, that it even happens. And, yep. you know, but there's no way we could ever substitute those feelings for, for someone who's experienced it firsthand. And for someone like you, Grace, to, to I guess, uh, leverage those experiences to help others is – uh, honestly, is the ultimate calling in my view, and it's got to totally, be valuable to your your organization and to the efforts overall, Sandy. I mean, I totally agree. She's just she's just a godsend. She's just a miracle walking around, and and I, you know, we just love her, and just you know, she's she's just a sprinkle of magic and happiness every time <laughs> we get to spend some time together. She's just she's just a just an amazing woman. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for giving me the chance and the opportunity. We're glad you came on. Yes, sir. You're awesome. Great to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you. Be blessed. You, too. See you guys later. Thanks, Thanks. Andy. Thank yeah. you. Stepping aside. Coming right back, folks. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Hello world, here's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. are back, folks, in the Element Well studio. David Cassidy and the Partridge family there. From the all-hit request line. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, honestly, I got to regain my composure a little bit after uh, after that one. That's a brave person there to come on and, uh, and to stay involved. You couldn't blame her, right? Once she got recovered and resettled, if she just, like I said, walked away. But she's decided to stay involved, help others. Yeah, to keep working in and around instances that would definitely remind her of her own issues that she's overcome. Yeah, And, and the experience, as she said, hell. So... We're grateful to uh, her for coming on, Grace, and we're also grateful to the two physicians that are willing to uh, provide their professional services, their their talent and expertise to those in particular need. It's it's terrible, it's unthinkable, and like I said, every man, every time we talk about this, it just I, I can't comprehend it. I really can't. I, I can't comprehend the evil. The the brazen selfishness is what it is. It's just selfishness. Anytime you're using another human for your own personal gratification, that's the ultimate form 
It truly is. Well, uh, again, appreciate uh, Sandy for bringing Grace in and Grace for agreeing to come on the program. And, and again, the two physicians. And congratulations and, and thanks to them. Really appreciate it. Speaking about uh, health care, you know, we had Robert Dozier from the Mississippi Pharmacy Association on, I believe it was last week, and we're talking about the ridiculous complexities of the pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs, the acronym, and and how that impacts the cost of uh, prescription drugs. Well, on a bipartisan basis, the Lower Costs, More Transparency Act, this is something you remember Robert was talking about, try to shine some light on the, the entire mechanism, if you will, the flow between the PBMs, the manufacturers, the providers, the patients. There's so many parties involved. Lower cost, more transparency act, which would essentially require pharmacy benefit managers and hospitals to meet price transparency standards, not just PBMs, but the hospitals as well. That passed on the U.S. House floor earlier this week by a vote of 320 to 71. So this didn't look like it was going anywhere a few months ago, even though it had bipartisan support. 39 Republicans, interesting split, Rhino, of the dissenters, 39 Republicans, 31 Democrats, which I think also somewhat corresponds with the, the broad bipartisan support. So typically when you have broad bipartisan support, when you have dissension, usually it's going to be fairly equal numbers of dissenters among the parties. But that's what we have here. Um, so we'll see where this goes. This would require PBMs to publicly list prices before they charge patients in hospitals. Uh, and hospitals would be as well required to publish charges through what the law describes as machine-readable files, which just really means electronic data that could be easily processed and consumed and used to present uh, to interested parties, insurers, patients alike. And it is frustrating. I agree. And, I, and it's it's hard to just lay blame at the feet of the providers because they're subject upstream to somebody else who's paying the bill. You know that very well. And it's not always evident, honestly. And then you got so many other, depending on the scope of uh, the services, you've got third parties involved as well, and you, you don't always know what their charges are going to be. Heck, anybody that's, that's uh, had, say, serious surgery, you get so many dang pieces of paper in the mail, honestly, you don't know who to pay what to. It's complicated. Um, so I, I think this is a good move. It's I, I don't like government intervening here, uh, but man, they they've this has been a request from the market for some time, and we just can't seem to break through. So I don't I don't see this as too intrusive. I don't want it to go further than this. I don't you know I, I already have Medicaid and Medicare who of course negotiate their. Uh, their service fees and reimbursements. I mean, look at it this way. If, if you have machine-readable data that is the price points for services and for products needed to provide those services, 
What's one thing you have an awful lot of in a hospital waiting room? That would be time. Yeah. So why wouldn't a hospital set up kiosks sure. in their waiting room? You put in your information. Because, I mean, you're already going to have to give them your, your symptoms, your uh, allergies, any Medical sensitivities history. to medications. Yeah. But if you start putting all that in in a kiosk while you're waiting, yeah, you got nothing to do but kill time. And if it's machine readable, that means you could plug in the AI and it goes, well, if you've got these symptoms and this, your range of prices could be from here to here. Yeah. That way you know going in. I, and that's it. And and so you you go ahead and, and have the, uh, the services performed, surgery, operation, whatever the treatment and therapies may be, and then you, you just kind of wait. You get bills in the mail. You don't know what's going to happen. And then you, get, of course, get the explanation of benefits. And, you know, this that confuses a lot of people. And that's, I think, a, a requirement uh, mandated by law. You've got to send. Uh, and it'll clearly say, don't pay this. This is not a bill. But, man, you start comparing all that stuff when you finally do get this is your responsibility, the patient responsibility, as it is is uh, the language states. But it's it's confusing, and it, it needlessly, I believe, needlessly, with all the automation technology we have today, they, they've resisted, honestly, communicating across the, the parties, all this EHR stuff. That's was its promise, is fully in, integrated um, uh, healthcare environment where clinics, hospitals, providers, everybody involved would share and have access to that information. Your chart would follow you around, so to speak. And that's um, we haven't realized that goal yet hasn't been uh, completely achieved. Chris from Oxford says, I'm going to borrow Rhino's tinfoil hat for just a minute. Do you think all this stuff that has come out on the president in the last year or so is just a massive ploy by the Democratic Party to get Joe Biden not to run for president? All of this possible impeachment stuff was just a ploy to do that. No, I, I don't, Chris. I I really don't. I, I don't think that the Democrat Party wants to see impeachment. I don't think that helps their cause, even if Joe Biden ends up not being the candidate, which I still, at this point, do not think he will be. That's uh, just my opinion. Now, kind of running out of time, if you think about it. Not, not much time for a, a change to be made. I actually think behind the scenes, people are trying to persuade the president to not seek re-election. And uh, he's come out recently, as you know, and said, I'm only doing it so I can ensure Donald Trump doesn't become the president. But the polls suggest otherwise. He's trailing in particular, as we've talked about, uh, in these uh, pivotal swing states. If the election were held today and those polls held true, gosh, he he would uh, lose by a landslide. I mean, he'd lose, obviously, all the traditional red states, plus all the so-called swing states. There's about six in that category. Now, I met one of them, actually, is it, it polls in his favor, but that would be devastating uh, to, the, to the Democrat candidate. I also think that 
Ron DeSantis is again counting on Iowa, and if he doesn't prevail in Iowa, the first caucus, I think he exits the race. I think Nikki Haley stays in through New Hampshire now that she has secured an endorsement from the governor of New Hampshire. just happened yesterday, Governor Chris Sununu. Now, not such a big deal in New Hampshire. Trump's still on the Republican side among Republican voters. That would be who uh, would vote in the primary, of course. He still leads by a fairly wide margin, but she... You know, you don't know how Sununu, he is a popular governor in the state. You don't know how that might influence the voters. But I think at this point, there are just a lot of people that believe it's just imminent that uh, Donald Trump prevails and is the party's nominee, and they want to attach themselves to that. She has picked up endorsement from um, the Koch brothers' big pack as well, and uh, one of the founders of Home Depot also came out in uh, in support of her. So, but I don't think she can overcome the the margin that Trump leads her by. We're stepping aside, coming back for the final segment on middays with a little Steely Dan bumping us out. It's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. On the ceasefire text line, I said that at this point, I don't believe that Joe Biden ultimately is the Democrat nominee for president. And uh, someone said Trump doesn't either. You're right. I have heard him say that. He doesn't believe it will be Joe Biden. Of course, the question is, who is it going to be? Also, the uh, Hunter Biden, as we reported earlier, he skipped out on his deposition. He just thumbed his nose. He he flouted it completely, the subpoena. Not very smart. But the House, I think, either today or tomorrow is actually scheduled to pass that resolution beginning the impeachment inquiry. That's gonna it looks like it's gonna happen. I'll tell you what doesn't look like it's gonna happen that we've talked about since uh, Mike Johnson was elected speaker by his uh his conference there is passing these spending bills. I, I mean, we're running out of time, and I, I'm searching for progress. I don't see any. Have you seen it? I mean, there's no news about any progress. And if I'm not mistaken, they're all headed out of town here in the next day or two. I think that's it. Then they, When they return, and they ain't got many days on the calendar there to get something done. This is not something you just talk about a couple of hours We've already seen that for sure. So are we going to be facing another continuing resolution? Something that, again, ultimately got Kevin McCarthy booted. And after multiple attempts, we finally got a speaker who, of course, said he didn't like that, wanted to pass spending in accordance with regular order. That means 12 spending bills for the discretionary aspect of government spending, but 
doesn't look like he's going to be able to pull that off at this point, at least without another continuing resolution. Now, we certainly could be shocked. Things happen sometimes fast once there's a break in the logjam. That can happen. But I'm not hearing or seeing any indication of that at this point. Uh, Before we went to break uh, earlier in the show, I had mentioned that this new therapy to treat sickle cell disease, 2.2 million per patient. And this is going to be uh, a game changer, honestly, is, is the way it's being described for those with the disease, which is uh, very difficult to, uh, to deal with, to live with. That is uh, expensive, and it could be out of reach for a lot of families. And you just wonder, now that we know Medicaid and Medicare are going to cover it, uh, I'm not sure what that means in terms of total possible potential dollars spent to reimburse providers for performing these services and administering this treatment, uh, the CRISPR gene therapy, which actually edits DNA found in a patient's stem cells to remove the gene that uh, causes the disease. I mean, it's fascinating. And you know there's a lot more CRISPR development on the table. It's being worked on to treat a lot of other disease. And you wonder, are there going to be some, just some ethical reservations on the part of some people? But I'm betting that if people who are stricken with this, that live with this, if they have this opportunity, they're they're likely to, to submit to it. That's what I'm thinking. Certainly better than living with that constantly. Constant fear of, as you described it, that I guess attack is what sort of what I call them. I've I've witnessed it, and this is brutal. And you, and you just you feel for the like what you can't do anything honestly. Just have to wait for it to pass, and it often doesn't pass in a hurry when it flares up. So interesting um, where all that will go. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I really don't think Biden will be the candidate. Thomas and Greenwood says impeaching Biden will just motivate Democrats to support him. Yeah, that's always a possibility. I think it's fair to say that the Democrats' pursuit of Donald Trump in in these various legal actions, I think, Rhino, it's pretty clear that that has energized and galvanized his base because every time another indictment gets handed down, his poll numbers go up. And I think it's because people feel like it's it's unfair that it that it's not grounded in in fact and and that it's it's demonstrates and exhibits weaponization of government through the justice systems and it doesn't help that you got the attorney general in New York that filed one of those suits in New York about him his valuation of his assets. It doesn't doesn't help that when she was running, she campaigned on that, right? Elect me, and I'm going after Donald Trump. Not, yeah, I'm going to be a good attorney general defending the rights of people in my state. No, I'm going to go prosecute Donald Trump. Unbelievable. We're out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.